Well, we're going to jump straight into the Word this morning, and um, I want to open up John, the Gospel of John, chapter 11, um, verse 1 to 6. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 1 to 6. And it's a really interesting piece of scripture, one that I've read a dozen times, maybe more, and I've never really noticed this, this little bit. But um, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. You know, something that I've found over the last few years in my Christian journey, probably the last six or seven, since I've been about 17, um, is that no matter how well I know my Bible, no matter how well my relationship with Jesus is going, um, I always, I, I quite often find myself in situations where I have no understanding of how I got to that situation. I, I'm, I'm, it doesn't make sense. I, I've completely uh, lost track of how I ended up in this situation. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing other people in the same sort of situation, getting the blessing that I'm asking God for and, and, and people are, are getting blessed with that. And, and yet it's not happening for me. You know, the first time something like this that I can really clearly remember happening to me, I was um, the worship leader at the youth group that I was in growing up. I, 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 and I was so ecstatic about it. It was my first like church leadership position and I was pumped about it. And, you know, in where I grew up, being a leader in the church was a big thing. Like pastors were like a big deal. They were like, you know, everyone loves the pastors and they practically worshiped them. And I was like, I'm the worship leader. I'm the worship leader at my youth group. And so I'd been doing it for about a year and I decided that it was um, time for me to get my driver's license. And so where I was living, you had to do a, an eight-week course to get your driver's license. So I went to my youth pastor and I told him that I wanted to do it. And I set up everything. I made sure there was someone to replace me. I did everything possibly that I could think of right. I did it all. And everything worked out. I went and I did the course and everything ran super smoothly. And I'd finished the course. I did the eight-week course and I, I came to youth the next week and I was about to worship lead. I'd prepped the song list. I'd sent it out to everyone. And I get to youth and the son of our senior pastor at the time comes up to me and he, he quietly says, hey, Luke, I'm just letting you know you are no longer the worship leader. Just as I'm about to start leading um, and that someone else was going to do it. And it was like a punch in the guts. I was, I was devastated. I, I, I was shocked and I went and spoke to my senior pastor and, and that didn't go well. And I just could not comprehend why this was happening. I could not comprehend how this situation had come about. And um, 
the next couple of months going forwards, I, I was quite heavily involved in the church that I was in, and I, I, I was so passionate about serving in the church. I was on time. I, I, we, you know, we used to get to church at like six o'clock in the morning to set up for like a 10 o'clock service. Like we'd come in and set up the speakers and the drums and, and then we'd play worship. And it just, time over time, there was like, I'd get a phone call at, at 5.30 on Sunday morning saying, oh, you don't need to come in this morning. Um, I did like over and over again, I'd have situations like this and I could not understand what I did wrong. And there was no explanation. People would just have a go at you for no reason. So the worship leader would be shouting at you or the senior pastor would be upset with you for something. And I could just not work out why this was happening. And eventually it got to the point where I had to, I chose to step off the worship team and I got in trouble for that, even though I wasn't allowed to serve half the time. But I, when I came off the team, I got in more trouble and it just, just kept on going. And it just, there was no, no sense. I was praying, God, like, why is this happening to me? Why isn't anybody else getting in trouble? Um, like, why is it just me? Why, why I'm, I, I'm getting up at six o'clock in the morning to serve. Like, why is this happening to me? And it just doesn't seem to make sense. And it took me a really long time. Like, I, I ended up leaving the church um, just for, to move back to Newcastle. And, like, it was a hard thing to do because I'm quite persistent and I'm quite driven. And, like, quitting something is really difficult for me to do. I don't like to drop things. But the situation just kept going on. And for a long time, for a long time, I could not understand why it happened. And I was praying to God, and eventually God started speaking to me months and months after I'd moved back to Newcastle, um, that he was working on some things in me and, and trying to, something that God is, I'm really passionate about and God's really put on my heart is the idea of uh, relationship over religion. And more and more as I went through this situation, I valued my relationship with God over the position that I was holding in the church. And it's something that I've carried with me and it's something that God's really worked in me. But it took me a long time to understand. It took me a long time to comprehend why I had to go through that situation. And we sort of see the same thing that Mary and Martha are going through. I used to think that this passage of Scripture out of John was a story about Jesus and Lazarus. But the more I read it, I realize that it's a story about Jesus and Martha. That it's God's trying to do something, not just bring Lazarus back to life, which is awesome, but he's trying to do a work in Martha as well and in, in, in Mary. But like you think about it, like Mary and Martha did all the right things. Their brother was sick, and immediately the first person they turned to is Jesus. The the God that has has been in their house. They've served him food. They, they've loved him. They've, they've worshipped him. They've sat at his feet and listened to him deliver the word. And yet when their brother's sick on death's door, they ask Jesus to come and he stays two more days. Like that does not make sense. It does not comprehend. And like everything up to verse 5 makes sense. Everything up to verse 5. But then we see this crazy bit of scripture in verse 5. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days. So he loves them, but he's not going to come. And what I didn't realize about this story is where Jesus was, he was two, so he was two days away from where Mary and Martha were. So not only did he stay two more days, but then he had to walk or ride a donkey or whatever you did back then 
to get there. So he ended up being, taking four days to get there. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. And you know, so often I think all of us go through what I'm, I'd like to call a Lazarus situation where, and it doesn't have to be like a huge thing, but it's where something happens to us that we've read in the word that God's done a miracle to fix that, or we've seen the people around us getting the blessing that we're asking for, and yet God isn't doing that for us. Like how often have, you know, I've so often I've found myself in a situation where I'm struggling and God's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here three more months. I love you, but I'm staying here three more months. I love you, but I'm staying here for five months. I'm staying here for six months, for a year, for, for two years. And, and, you know, it can be anything. It can be, it doesn't have to be someone dying or, or cancer. It can give you something really personal to you. Maybe, maybe you're going through, you know, your kids misbehaving. And you just don't know why you're praying for them, you're, you're believing for them. Maybe it's just a really bad boss at work that you're just praying, God, just take this person away or stop them from shouting at me. Maybe it's a husband that won't do the dishes, a car crash, depression. You know, something that really has impacted me over the last few years, especially since I've been leading youth, is the amount of parents that I have had the opportunity to speak to, both of youth kids and of kids that are adults and, and moved on, and these parents have, have loved their kids, their parents that have served God diligently in ministry, and yet their kids have walked away from God. You know, I, it's a, a, acutely aware for me because my family is so incredibly blessed, blessed in that situation. Like, I have uh, one foster brother, two younger siblings... All four of us are heavily involved in ministry, heavily involved in the church. We've been walking with Jesus pretty much our whole lives. And I talk to parents who have been praying for their kids 5, 10, 15, 20, 40 years. And, they, and, it's, and it just doesn't make sense. Like, why hasn't God answered that prayer? And I, I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer for why me and my siblings are... Uh, uh, so, like in the church and, and, and following the, our God's calling on our lives, but you know, like I don't have an answer. I don't think my parents would have an answer for that. It's it, it, it's almost like it feels like luck sometimes. But you know, we go through these situations that don't make sense, and we see people next door or or down the road or in church who are getting the blessing that we're asking for, and it doesn't make sense. We come to situations where God, we see God do the work for others and we see the blessing and yet it's not happening for us. And it's the same thing for Mary and Martha right here. They know Jesus. They know, they've heard about the miracles that he's doing. He, they've seen him heal blind people and, and deliver miracle after miracle. They've seen him raised from the dead. And yet here they are, their brother's dying or dead and God didn't show up. And it doesn't make sense. And, you know, I think that's like the dichotomy of faith, that we have to be able in one breath to go, my God can do anything, and on the other side go, he's just not going to do it for me right now. And, and yet God does love us. He does have a plan and a purpose for us. And, 
he can do anything. Like Jeremy was up here sharing a few weeks ago and like God could have healed his cancer at any time. And yet he allowed him to go through a process. And something that has become more and more apparent to me and more and more challenging to me is that sometimes or often, in fact, if we want to see new life, we want to see God's glory, that sometimes something has to die first. That in order to see a victory, we have to go through a battle. In order to see a mountaintop, we have to go through a valley. In order to see spring, we have to go through a winter. Like, and I don't literally mean a person have to die. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a, a, a bad habit. Maybe it's a, a belief system. Maybe it's a, a culture. Maybe there's people in your life who are speaking rubbish over you and you just need to get out of that situation. I don't hope they don't die, but that maybe they just need to, you know, step out of, out of that situation. Maybe you need to find some new people to speak over you. Maybe God is just trying to get you to trust him a little bit more, to rely on him, to, to break a stubborn will or a, or a, a stubborn heart, to, that he knows that the plan and the way that he has for you is better and he just wants you to lean into that just a little bit more because you know that he can do the miracle and you know that he loves you. And I, I've been so challenged by that. I, like, I know that God loves me and yet there's something that, that has to die. A little bit of a sort of mundane, uh, real-life situation story. Um, my first job as a teenager, I had two jobs and they were the cushiest, most fantastic job that any teenager could ask for. I, uh, I used to teach guitar to a bunch of kids. I had a monopoly on teaching guitar where I lived. I was the only person that spoke English that could teach a bunch of wealthy foreign kids how to play guitar. I was the only musician around. So all of these kids brought brand new guitars and their parents paid me at least $30 an hour to show up and teach them guitar for an hour two times a week. And I had about 10 or 15 students at one point. Like, I could go every day and teach three or four kids and it was fantastic. And the second job that I actually got through teaching guitar was that I used to look after wealthy people's pets while they go on holiday. And what this meant was that I got to stay in their house watch their English um, uh, satellite TV, and I'm talking like good stuff like HBO and, you know, like five different Discovery channels and five different Nat Geo channels. Like, this is the good stuff, right? And all I had to do was make sure that their dog didn't die while they were out. <laughs> so it was like, walk a dog in the morning, walk a dog at nighttime, feed it, and you're good, and you get to watch TV for the rest of the day. And like, so I had these massive houses to myself, sometimes for like three months at a time. I'd just live in this house. My friends could come over. It was a gated community with security guards. Like this was, it was fantastic. And I got to do this for like four years. And so when I moved back to Newcastle, I very quickly come to the realisation that when you teach guitar in Newcastle, you don't get $30 an hour, and it's not that great, and nobody wants you to look after their pets. So I had to get a real job, and I got a job at Woolworths, and for the first couple of months, 
it was great because the boss that I had did not care at all. He just said, oh, go and put cans on a shelf and you'll be fine. So I actually thought I was doing a really good job until one night our, our boss had left and we hadn't got a new boss yet as far as I was aware. And so I came to work and they told me where to go and I started stacking shelves. And about 15 minutes into me stacking shelves, this cranky lady... She's like this tall and had really short hair and it was purple. And has anyone ever noticed that the scariest people in your life are ladies that are this tall with short hair? Like, uh, but and, anyway, this lady comes screaming down the aisle, walks straight up to me and just goes, hey, can you get some urgency about you? I have no idea who this lady is. I've never seen her before, and she's just shouting at me. And she continues to shout at me for the next two hours. And so me, not ever having a boss before, decided to mouth off. (laughs) Because the crazy lady is shouting at me. So I'm mouthing off, and I'm like, well, if you you weren't shouting at me, I'd be a bit more urgent. And like I I was like skipping aisles so that she wouldn't catch up to me. Um... Anyway, anyway, about halfway through my shift, I go up to our 2IC, who I'm quite, I get along with quite well, and I go, mate, who the heck is this crazy lady shouting at me? And he's like, what crazy lady? I said, the lady with the purple hair. She's just following me around. And he's like, oh, that's our new boss. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I said, I've been mouthing off to her for the last two hours. Didn't think to, hey, hey, go stop me at the start of the shift and go, hey, Luke, we've got a new boss. Don't mouth off. <laughs> and so, fair enough to say the next few months were rough. Uh, I, I used to work maybe two or three shifts a week, and every time I went there, the lady was there shouting at me, and I uh, didn't take it well. But after time, some time went by, and some attitudes died inside of me, and I learned my lesson about mouthing off very quickly at work. Um, you know, some, there were some shifts, and I actually ended up getting along really well with this lady. Um, and we ended up working together really well. And at one point when I was working there, I used to be the only staff member that was allowed to do overtime. If I was there, I was the only one allowed, not in management. And, like, like that was a big thing. Like, and when she ended up leaving a little while, like, a couple of years later, like, we were really quite good friends and it was quite upsetting that she left and we had to get new bosses but you know the the key is that like after something died inside of me after there was some release after you know some weeds got pulled out there was actually the blessing actually came through like because I remember quite feverishly praying that God would take the evil lady out of my life um There was a couple of months that were really rough that I did not want to go to work because I knew I was going to get berated. I knew I was going to get shouted at. But, you know, God did bring the good out of it towards the end there. And so often we equate God's love. Like something that I'm so guilty of is that I equate God's love with comfort. That if I'm comfortable, then I know God loves me. And the truth is that... God allows us to go through some stuff. He allows us to face some stuff because it's going to bring something so much better out of us in the end. 
And you know, something that that Pastor Marty said a a couple of months back is that God's love language is obedience. And I really believe that. And so often the first thing that God will ask me to do is to trust him in any situation. I've gone through so many situations. And sometimes it's like God puts puts your number straight to voicemail. I don't know if that's happened to anyone, but it happens to me where I'll, I'll be going through a situation, I'll be struggling, and every time I start praying, all I get from God is, trust me. All I get from God is, hey, just keep going and trust me. And it's like, man, it's like I'm like talking to God and it's just like, beep, leave a message, just trust me. And I'm not going to listen to it because I don't want to hear you whinging. <laughs> But like so often, it's like God just wants us to be obedient and lean into him and trust that he's going to do something bigger and better than we can understand. And I think the key to that, like the miracles in the Bible that I get that really impact me, like I love, I love the story where a centurion comes to Jesus and his daughter's dying and he says, Jesus, I need you to heal my daughter. And Jesus goes, okay, I'll come and heal your daughter. And he goes, no, no, you can heal her right now. You say it right now. I lead men. I know what this is about. You say she'll be healed. And like that story for me is so impacting because the faith is amazing. And I like, I love the story of Mary and Martha. But when Jesus rocks up at Mary and Martha's house, Martha's like, dude, where the heck were you? If you were here, my brother would be alive. Not realizing that Jesus had a bigger purpose, not realizing that he was going to do, like, I kind of think that the story would kind of be better if Mary and Martha both walked out and, like, thank goodness you're here. I know it took a while, but I'm glad you're here because I know you can do anything. But we don't really see that. And I think, oh, man, I would love to be a person that when the need comes, that I can can be the one that goes, God is going to show up. God is going to do something amazing. I love in John 11, verse 2. And there's this little tiny verse in parentheses, and it says, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You know, that whole story is in verse 11. That whole little verse is in in chapter 11. But that story doesn't happen until chapter 12. And I think sometimes when we're in chapter 11... We need to start thinking about chapter 12. We need to start being able to see not just the situation that I'm going through, but that I'm going to be worshipping on the other side. And I think this is so key. I love, there's a story about David in 1 Chronicles. And David's, God has blessed David. He's given David everything that he has asked for, everything that he has promised. David is king over Israel. He's... um, He's, he's, he's defeated his enemies. Israel is prospering. And David's sitting in his palace one day. And he's like, man, I'm sitting in this palace. And my God's out in a tent. And so David gets Nathan to come to him. And Nathan comes and David says, hey, I want to build a temple for God. And Nathan's like, yeah, go do it. It's awesome. God's with you. But when Nathan gets back home, God comes to him and says, actually, David can't build my temple. His son will build my temple. Um, David's just not the right one. And he goes back and tells David this. And, you know, if I was David, I would have been devastated. This God that I've worshipped my whole life, that I'm so, my heart's set, I'm building him a temple. And I'm not allowed, I'm not to be the one to build it. 
And just to give you a key to ancient Israel politics, when God says that your son is going to build a temple to the king, Israel's kings didn't abdicate. There was no stepping down. There was no moving to the side. There was none of that. You were king as long as God allowed you to be king. And normally what that meant was that you died as king. So what God was really telling David is that there's not going to be any temple until you're dead. In order for a temple to be built, you have to die. And man, that would have been devastating. But what David does instead, he goes, well, Solomon's pretty young and inexperienced. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set all the groundwork for the temple. I'm going to get all the wood. I'm going to get all the gold, all the silver, all the bronze. Everything is going to be ready. Everything is going to be set because David didn't just see a temple for him to worship in. He saw a temple that the next generation was going to worship in, that the generation after was going to worship in. And even if he had to die, even if he wasn't going to step foot in that temple, he saw the worship that was going to happen in the temple. And he knew that God was going to deliver on his promise. You know, uh, Psalm 27 verse 14, um, it's not going to be on the screen because it's the, the Passion Translation, but someone shared this verse and it just massively impacted me this week. And it says, here's what I've learned through, through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting for he will never disappoint. Like David knew that verse. David lived that verse, but someone else who lived that verse, my absolute favorite Bible character, someone who has stood out to me as long as I've been reading the word, is uh, the story of Caleb. He only gets mentioned briefly in, in, in only a few verses. There's not much in the Bible about this guy called Caleb, but he was one of the spies that got sent out with Joshua and the 12 other spies to spy out the land of Israel, the land of Cana when the Israels got there. So he goes in and he spies out the land and they see all the, the blessing, but they also see giants and they also see walled cities and they see the challenges. And when they get back to report, they bring so many amazing reports. But um, 10 of the 12 spies go, there's no way we can take this land. There's no way we can take it. There's giants and we look like grasshoppers to them. There's walled cities that we don't have the, the technology to take. And so everyone in Israel freaks out. But then Caleb stands up and goes, no, we can take it because we've got God on our side and, and I believe that we're going to take it. And... Everyone, no one listens to him. No one, no one takes his word in. And God ends up sending Israel back out into the wilderness for 40 years so that a generation would die off and the next generation would get to take the. But the two men that get to stay, the two men that will, God promises will be in the promised land are Caleb and Joshua. And I love what it says in Numbers 14, 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. And I love that story. I love that, that verse that my servant Caleb has a different spirit. 
You know, I want to have a different spirit. I want to be someone that when my trial comes up, when my challenge comes up, when the, the next thing arrives, my next valley, that I'm the one with the different spirit, that I'm walking through it going, God's got this, he's going to deliver. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but he's going to deliver. Because when something has to die, it's always uncomfortable. It's, it's never easy, but the truth is that God is going to bring something big out of that. That discomfort sometimes produces bigger and better fruit. That a little bit of hardship makes you a little bit more stronger. You know, we don't just go to the gym and lift little weights hoping to get big. If we want to get bigger, we have to get bigger weights. We have to go through a little bit of pain, a little bit more discomfort, but in the end, we're stronger for it. And Caleb doesn't just go, well, God's promised that I'm going to the promised land, so you know what? While the rest of you go out and kick the bucket, I'm just going to chill back here. No, he spends the next 40 years developing himself and developing the next generation of Israel, training up the warriors, training up the men that are going to go in and defeat the giants and defeat the walled cities. And when he gets to his time to take um, Cana and, and for it to become the nation of Israel. He's 80 years old. 80 years old. And he not only, he first he helps Joshua take the land that Joshua has to take. He follows Joshua and he supports his campaign and he leads the men. And finally, at 80 years old, Caleb's like, hey, Joshua, I've done everything that you needed me to do. So can I take the tribe of Judah and go and take the land that God promised us? And who leads the charge? Caleb, can you imagine an 80-year-old guy swinging a sword? Like, for us, like, that's hard to comprehend. At 80, I want to be at home with a good Netflix subscription and a can of Coke. Like, I don't want to be out swinging a sword. My goals for 80 years old is not going out and swinging a sword. But Caleb is out there, all macho, taking out giants and bringing down walled cities, and they take their whole land. Like, it's an amazing story. It comes from that having a different spirit and, and following God wholeheartedly. Like if I want to go through the season that I'm going through, then I need to be, I, have, I need to have a different spirit, but I need to follow God wholeheartedly. That when he says, trust me, I need to trust him. When he says, just keep going, I need to just keep going. If the creative team want to start coming back, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wrap up. But I, I just really feel to read that verse out of Psalms again this morning. I feel like there's some people here this morning that just need to hear that verse. Maybe you need to write it down and stick it on your fridge or something. But I just feel that there's a couple of people here this morning that just really need to hear this. So it's Psalm 27, 14 out of the TPT. But it says, here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Don't be entwined, be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting for he will never disappoint you. You know, Caleb knew that. I feel like Caleb lived that verse. That, that the reason that he had a different spirit, the reason that he was so successful, the reason that he lived the life that he did was that he was entwined with one as one with the Lord. Everything God said, he lived off that. And when it came to, to going back out into the wilderness, which would have been devastating, he saw himself worshipping on the other side. 
He knew that his God wasn't going to disappoint him. He knew that his God was going to carry him through. And he knew that God was going to deliver on the promise as long as he was obedient, as long as he trusted, as long as he kept going where God told him to go. And I just feel like it's so important for us that when we're facing the challenge that God has put in front of us, that we just entwined with one as one with him and that our hearts are so open to just trusting him. And if something has to die, then we let it, knowing that on the other side there's going to be glory, that, there's going to, that God is going to be glorified through that, that, that there is going to be new life, because he loves us. And yeah, we might have to wait three more days, a year, six months, whatever. But God is going to deliver on the other side as long as we're obedient to what he's calling us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are a God of outcomes, that you are a God of promise. And God, I just thank you for what you're doing in our lives right now, God. And God, I just pray that, that as the, the situations arise, as the challenges arise, as we go through the valleys, as, as, as things have to die, God, I just pray that we would set our eyes on you, knowing that you're the deliverer, knowing that you're the healer, knowing that, that you can do anything and that we would trust you to deliver what you've promised, God even though it doesn't make sense, even though it's difficult, that we would trust you knowing that you're going to deliver God. You know, while every eye's closed and head's about, I want to do something a little bit different this morning. I just really feel on my heart that there are some people here this morning that are in a Lazarus situation, that something doesn't make sense, that you, you don't know why you're going through what you're going through. You, you feel like you've done all the right things. You've prayed the right words. You've, you've sought God and it just still hasn't happened. And if that's you this morning, I want to I take a moment to pray for you. So I just ask that you just stick up your hand. No one's watching. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. But if that's you this morning and that, that's, that's something that you're going through, I just pray those hands. Yeah, thank you for those hands. I see those hands. Heavenly Father, we just lift up each and every one of those people that just lifted their hands, God. God, I just pray right now for an injection of hope, an injection of courage, an injection of faith, and an injection of peace into each and every one of those people, God. I pray that right now as they're going through a situation that doesn't make sense, that that. They, had, they don't even know how they got there, God, but I just pray right now that their eyes and their hearts would turn to you, knowing that you are the victor, knowing that you love them and you have a perfect plan for them, God, and I just pray right now that they would just open their hearts to just trust you a little bit more, knowing that you are going to deliver, knowing that you are going to pull out something, God, and I pray right now that you would just drop into their heart, that they will be worshipping on the other side, that they will come into the promise that you aren't going to disappoint God. And we just thank you for this in your heavenly name. Amen.